I love that voice. The voice singing it's in like the song. It's like some sort of, it could be in a Beatles song, sort of. Okay, I can see that. Like the sassier later career Beatles. Sure, sure. Like, like maybe their one of their chorus. Mm-hmm. No one sang like that except for between 1961 and 73, probably. I think that's accurate. And we, of course, are the Boob Two Boys. Welcome, everyone, to this episode. We are covering Wonder Woman. In case you couldn't tell, in case you didn't look at your screen before you listened to this or listen to the song that let us in. They could just have a big cue on their podcast player. It's auto-playing for hours. Like, you know how like YouTube does that? Sure. They could be doing that, and they could be like, I wonder... After three straight days of this cue that I've had in my podcast player, who I'm listening to now. The way it goes, And it's the Boop boys. Well, let me ask you this, Mr. Hendricks. Mm-hmm. You're a superhero. Mm-hmm. What's the name of your supervillain? Or is there like a gimmick to them? Stanley Kubrick. So he's just this good director. No, no, no. It's a, you're That's thinking, just his name. Different guy. You're thinking of the real guy. This oh, is a different okay. version of him. Right. What's and his deal? He is bad at directing. Oh. And so, oh, I see why you don't like him. And his name is also Stanley Kubrick. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, Brian Vaughn, you're up next. Real quick, I have to say, that would get on the real Stanley Kubrick's nerves so bad. Oh, yeah. If there was a, I bet his name is spelled like (laughs) K-O-O-B-R-I-C-K. Just infuriate him. uh, My victim, or my victim. Okay, well, we're going to learn something here. Now, my ultimate villain would be Laborious, and he is a, uh, some sort of overlord that forces me to do labor for 12 hours a day. I think mine would be called like the stumbler and he's just, he's clumsy, but I'm clumsy, but he's more clumsy than me, which so makes him feel, a villain to me. Okay. You feel threatened by someone being clumsy? I do. Okay. You might trip over him. The reason we're talking about superheroes is because Wonder Woman is a superhero and arguably this is our first real superhero show. Yes, Brian Vaughn, we've done Bible Man, but I don't know that Bible Man had the success that even Wonder Woman had. Somehow, I agree with you, Van. I don't think Bible Man was able to reach those heights. I do think we had another superhero you're forgetting about, though, and that is Walker. That would be the other one. I was going to make a joke about, like, I don't know, Hey Dude being a superhero show, but I do think Walker is the one that could be construed Never as does one. anything wrong. Seems invincible. Are mm-hmm. we sure, though, based on that intro, that this is Wonder Woman? Did they say that at least a couple times? Like, I wasn't sure. I tend not to believe a theme song unless it tells me a good dozen <laughs> times. Before that, it's, it's questionable. It could be trying to trick you. Did we have any of the other hundreds of shows that we've done... Did they ever just blatantly say the show's name in the in the theme song? Before? Hey, dude. Did they? Hey, dude. Okay. I think that's, that's more about of it. a sting, though. Yeah, and it's fun. Yeah. Wonder Woman they didn't here just go, is hey, just. Hey, dude. Yeah. Hey, dude. <laughs> Other than that, boy, I don't know. They didn't really have much to do in the beginning there. I guess. They're I'll just tell like, you what. It was the Columbo, they, the, the Columbo theme song. He says it all the time. Just Columbo over and over and they, again. And they had Peter Falk yeah. do that. Yeah, Columbo. doing the theme song. <laughs> I'm filthy. I wish they had. He should have done the outro theme song like Kelsey Grammer does in Frasier. <laughs> Columbo is a detective, solves all his cases in a dirty shirt. <laughs> well, thanks everyone for tuning in. We're going to get into Wonder Woman here. I picked this. I don't know why. It just kind of stumbled across it. It's I know, awesome, I guess. I learned why after the fact, but prior to that, I, I had no idea, and I just it popped up in front of me. I thought, let's do Wonder Woman. It could be fun. I like the character of Wonder Woman okay. I'm not a comic book guy. I don't watch the comic book movie, so I haven't seen the new movie that came out. Have either of you? No, not at all. I've heard it was pretty good. The second one I've heard was not so good, but... This is the 1984 one or whatever? That's the second one. Okay. Mm-hmm. And it has Pedro Pascal in it, who I like. Does he, who does he it. play in that? The bad guy, I think. That'd be fun to watch, I think. Pedro Pascal has big dad energy. 
in a certain sense so, of now at this point in his career. Like yeah. I feel comforted by his presence. So seeing him as a villain would be strange. And since, of course, I and none of us are have, know anything about all these comic book movies, who is Wonder Woman again now in the modern day? Gal Gadot. I don't know who that is. She's a big Israeli model, and who's a gorgeous woman, of course. But but she could be your ass. The, uh, well, yes, but there's a whole controversial thing with her where, and I may be messing this up, so don't take this as me getting exactly the words right. But she's anti one of the groups in Israel, because that's obviously a very okay. big religious concept or conflict. And when you grow up in wherever it was she was from, you have to enter the military. So she did the military thing and was saying some very violent things about her opposition. And there's a little controversy with her. I don't know if she believes that. I don't know if it was just her being young. I, I don't know the details, but I know there was a little bit of controversy with that. I would hope that Gal wouldn't allow any of this to seep into her duties once she dons the cape. Certainly. Any prejudices? prejudices Prejudice. or yeah prejudice <laughs> she might have and i just now realized technically the opposite of gal would be guy therefore gal gadot guy fieri they're on par with one another i was thinking guy pierce maybe or guy Ritchie because no, movies but no. you yeah guy fieri he's in movies too i'll bet gal gadot has been to flavor town a time or two <laughs> we've all been to flavor town well, Wonder Woman, the character, was created in the early 1940s by this guy who's just progressive as fuck, particularly for the 40s. Real interesting. William Moulton Marston. He was also crucial in inventing the polygraph test or something involved with the polygraph test. He's considered the father of it. Did he do it Garden. with the creation of Wonder Woman so he could be like, if it, I'm going to ask people if they fucking like this thing. And if they tell me <laughs> yes, then they're lying to me. Well, ironically, one of Wonder Woman's powers is her golden lasso of truth. And when she lassoes somebody with it, they can only tell the truth. They can't tell <laughs> lies. Kind of a polygraph. Yeah. It also serves as a regular lasso, which is sure. what we see it used for. Yeah, if you need to get we a did horse. did a lot. We did a lot of that the last couple of weeks. Lots of lassoing. He decided he wanted to make a superhero, which would triumph not with fists and power, boys, but with love. He brought this idea up to his wife, who said, fine, but make her a woman. Because there really weren't that many what female superheroes. What kind of woman? A wonderful one. So, boom, he does. He makes Wonder Woman. He actually did base the character on his wife. Her name was Elizabeth Marston. And their live-in life partner, Olive Byrne. Again, this is the 1940s. The There's a thruple. Nice. Interesting. Then in October 1941, Wonder Woman made her debut in Star Comics number eight. And that next January debuted her, her first feature appearance in Sensation Comics number one. I guess I did not know Wonder Woman was a character so early. You thought it was a newer creation? 1941. Yeah, because that's like Captain America, right? It's 80 yeah. years ago. Now, since this was, of course, in the 1940s when the character was created, Wonder Woman debuted fighting the Axis powers, but eventually transitioned into fighting like Greek mythological creatures and monsters and just your standard supervillain kind of things. But early on, every Wonder Woman comic strip was about the Nazis. And that's what the first season of the show that we're going to cover this episode of features as well. Okay, I'm glad you brought that up, Van. When does this episode we're covering in season one take place? You mean in the world? In the world, 1942. Yeah. Okay, so this season takes place in the 40s, but in the future, the show does not. It take. takes place in the 70s. In the actual time they filmed the show. That yes. was weird. It did I'll say that. It in a minute. Too. It okay. did say that at the beginning of the episode. It has like a little, in the 40s. Yeah. Oh, thing. you're right. Yeah, you're the right. title cards. I was yeah. focused on some other stuff we'll get to later. Like Gargantua. Well, and we'll that's, talk about- That's the big thing. And I mean big. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about the show here. In March 1974, Warner Brothers produced a television film, which was aptly titled Wonder Woman. 
Hmm. This featured former professional tennis player Kathy Lee Crosby in the titular role as Wonder Woman. It was intended to be a pilot for a series, but unfortunately the ratings were only okay. They weren't great. They got in Stills and Nash and Young too. <laughs> so ABC chose, uh, you know, we're not going to pick up the pilot after this, but they retained the rights to the idea for it. And so the following November, like a year later, they released another television film pilot and they called it just the worst thing possible. It was called The New Original Wonder Woman. That's a lot. <laughs> That's too many words. That's a mouthful. I like the thing they had before. Wonder, Wonder Woman. Woman, yeah. <laughs> well, this one actually did feature Linda Carter as Wonder Woman, who we'll see in the show today. And it kind of stuck a little closer to the comic book story or character of Wonder Woman. And people liked it more. It was a big hit. So ABC immediately commissioned the next several episodes. Off they go. And as far as seasons and episodes do go... They're a little weird with this show, so I'll try to explain it as best I can. The second pilot, the one that was successful, was labeled as Season 1, Episode 1. That's technically the first episode of the series. Then they produced two new episodes, which were immediately filmed and then released. That's Season 1. Three episodes. One, two, three. They then move on to Season 2, which features 11 new episodes, and these all take place during World War II in the 40s. So the first three and then the next 11, the first 14 episodes, all in the 1940s. After that season finished, ABC hesitated to pick up the show for any more seasons, mostly because the show was set in the 40s. They had to do set designs and rebuild props. By war bonds? Fit the era, yeah. And the, the, yes, by war bonds. They had to do the, the Jeeps with the logos and Nazi signs everywhere. Talk it just about cost Ted Williams. <laughs> and his head. I wonder when they cut that head off and stuck it in a jar. <laughs> I think in the we, 90s. when he was 30 or 40. <laughs> so... You guys remember the last show we did that was filmed in the 70s and set in the 40s? Waltons? Waltons yes. Yeah, it's always the Waltons. If there is a question, what was the last show that? Waltons. The Waltons. As ABC kind of waffled on this, CBS decided to pick up the contract for the series, and they said, we will give you another season, but here's the thing, can't be in the 40s. We don't want to build all this stuff. You need to set it modern day. So they did. So the final two seasons, it got picked up for one more after that take place in the actual 1970s. In my heart, I believe that they took a look at some of the possible storyboard ideas for season two. One in particular could only take place in the 70s because of the type <laughs> of art being made. So they they decided based on the strength of that script to change the whole series into a <laughs> 70s series. And that episode is the one we're covering next week. That's just a little teaser. That's how good it is. How do they explain that in the show? Okay. That Wonder Woman was in the 40s and now she's in the 70s. So she doesn't age like normal people do. Because she's she, Wonder. What about Steve? Because he doesn't either, I guess. <laughs> they, they did something with that. So here's what happened. In, in the 40s, she does her job fighting Nazis and blah, blah, blah. Well, suddenly she gets the, the but revelation. You made that sound so commonplace. <laughs> anyway, superhero fights a bunch of Nazis in the 40s. Okay, blah, blah, blah. So they said she got the urge to go back home. So she went back home for 30 years. And then suddenly after 30 years, she thought, I need to go be Wonder Woman again. So she came back. In the meantime, Steve Trevor is the male lead in this show. He was Major Steve Trevor. Well, then he dies a few years after the war ends, or he dies in the war or something or other. 30 years later, his son works oh. for the same organization, and he is Colonel Steve Trevor Jr., and that's played by the same actor. And he's definitely 30 years old. <laughs> <laughs> he's not 46. <laughs> also, Steve Trevor is a horrible name. It's not a good one. That, that is a two-first-name special where they're both firmly in the first-name category. Neither of those should be a last name. After the third season, the ratings had slipped fairly heavily, and Carter and other cast and production members said that they believe the setting time change was a big reason for that. 
the show was pretty popular when it was Nazis and they were fighting that, but moving into the 70s, not as many people liked it. So by the time they got around to the fourth season, the production company decided they were going to change a bunch of stuff and instead target a teenage audience. So the first thing they did <laughs> is change the theme song. We heard it earlier. Let's just listen in on what the fourth season theme song is. <laughs> they discoed the shit out of this song. They sure did. They did make sure to clarify, though, it's still Wonder Woman. Oh, yeah. Did they want to make that. sure you know that. They also introduced a tiny, adorable robot sidekick named Rover. All of this sounds good. Plots of the show actually began to center around more teenage of the time things. And I'll give you a couple examples of subjects they made episodes about. The environment. Okay. We all like the environment. That's important. Yeah, we fixed that too. So good. Good job. <laughs> skateboarding. Wonder Woman has a skateboarding outfit. Wow. Roller coasters. Those are pretty cool. Teens like those, right? We've got roller coasters. And of course, in one episode, a land developer kidnaps a trained dolphin and uses it to sink an oil tanker. No way. Yeah. So it's Magnum P.I. all over how again. How is that twice a plot? I'm thinking that was just something that happened often in that time period. <laughs> so it just made its way into TV shows. They're like, well, since it's such a common thing. Yeah, people were so concerned about dolphin is explosions. Is this what the Cuban Missile Crisis <laughs> was about? JFK managed to keep that at bay. <laughs> he spoke dolphin. That is just remarkable. I would like to hear him doing the dolphin thing. Now <laughs> <laughs> he is a dolphin. <laughs> <laughs> My back hurts. Give me some more morphine, Marilyn. Now, obviously, this, after the show's cancellation, Wonder Woman did live on throughout the comics. Saw a big resurgence with that 2017 film. And there's whispers of a third movie coming up in the next couple of years, though not confirmed they yet. They could say it louder. All right, let's talk about the main cast of Wonder Woman. We mentioned Linda Carter. She's the titular Wonder Woman. And Linda started out as a musician. She gained a bit of success with the band The Garfin Gathering. <laughs> She eventually left to pursue an acting career. You know, she left the Garfin Gathering. <laughs> However, she first sound, found major success as a model, winning the Miss World USA 1972 contest and then reached the top 15 in the overall Miss World 1972 pageant. I did not know that there were like regional Miss World competitions it's, and then you worked up. Also, Miss World USA is confusing. That, it seems like if you won that, you've already won the world thing. Linda Carter made a few one-off appearances in some television shows and movies, and eventually she won the role of Wonder Woman, beating out an alleged 100 other women who auditioned for the part. Carter said she was so drained after trying to become an actor that at the time she won the role, she had $25 in the bank, no prospect of any money ever coming back in. So she was pretty much done. Got the role of Wonder Woman, and the rest is history, pretty yeah. much. And she would go on to what, to me, up until now, was her most prominent role of selling contacts and eyeglasses to people when I was nine. Yeah, I definitely remember those commercials. Post-Wonder Woman, Carter had a ton of acting jobs. She worked on her music a lot. She did have pretty good success, I'd say, although she did suffer with alcoholism. And in uh, 1997, she turned herself into a clinic to get it taken care of, but had some really bad demons with, uh, with booze. But things are going better. Oh, yeah. She's been clean for a while. Has she found her way back to the Garfin gathering? <laughs> I haven't heard. One can only hope. Maybe they're waiting for a big Madison Square Garden style event to return to the Garfin gathering. If there was a thing in Lord of the Rings where Gimli said, we have to go meet so-and-so at the Garfin get, that would fit right in. Sure. I'm picturing like the Turbulence 3 thing. Like you have the... The Garfin crowd on one side and okay. the anti-Garfin, they've got Barfin signs up over there and they're opposing each other. You can also chant that really easily. Garfin, Garfin. <laughs> or is that the verb of be doing Garfield stuff? 
Tingar Garvin, man. Yeah, I'm going to do that tomorrow. I'm going to hate Monday. (laughs) Linda is also an outspoken advocate of women's rights, abortion rights, LGBTQ plus rights, all sorts of social causes. She's a pretty cool person in real life. You might even call her wonderful. (laughs) And she also did some video game voiceovers, too. Spencer, I wanted to point this out. She is featured in the Elder Scrolls series uh, as the god Azura. Azura? I know of the character. I don't know that I've heard it. You Because you can get the thing where you can steal souls, and it can be oh, yeah. goat it's souls or dragon souls gems. or whatever. Yeah. I think those are the Daedric or yeah. something. They're like the rulers. I don't know that much about the lore of that, but I know who the character is, basically, and so that's interesting to know. And then, of course, she voiced the red dress-wearing lounge singer Magnolia in Fallout 4, which she did a great job. Oh, okay. I haven't played that. The male lead of the series is Lyle Wagoner. He's a prolific actor with many roles who plays Major Steve Trevor as well as Colonel Steve Trevor Jr., like we mentioned. And he was in basically everything. And, I mean, that's like Gunsmoke, Lost in Space. He had a major role on the Carol Burnett show, Maud, Mork and Mindy, The Love Boat, just everything back in the 70s, 60s, whatever, he was in it. But probably never made it to Caroline in the City. I don't think so. I don't think he lived that long. No, he died in 2020, so he could have been in Carolina City. He could have. He probably was. And this next bit will blow your minds, though. In 1979, while he was working on Wonder Woman, Wagoner discovered the motorhome given to him during production was actually rented to the studio from a nearby resident. So this is like the, you know, the lead star's trailer, that kind of motorhome. So once he found this out, he went out and bought a fleet of motorhomes at 50 grand each and he began renting them out to Hollywood productions for four to $500 a week. Apparently made a ton of money doing this. It, in fact, the business was sold in 2021 after he died for $222 million. Wow. So this was a successful venture. The original idea here as well, someone renting out their trailer to a movie star is kind of like Hollywood Airbnb. <laughs> yeah, it really is when you think yeah, about it. Only 50 years ago. But here's the thing. You guys remember a few episodes ago when we were watching Deborah Shane perform her bit on... uh, Yeah, with the fog and the leather. Yeah, on Street Hawk. Well, she's in a trailer and she leaves to go eat her lettuce on the table. If you'll remember, I pointed out that the trailer had a sticker that said Star Wagons. Yeah. With two Gs. Lyle Wagoner is spelled with two Gs. He started that business and it's real. That's awesome. This blew my mind when I read it. This is one of my favorite BTB coincidences yet. Yeah, crazy. And Carter and Wagner were basically the only two consistent cast members on this show. Lyle was in all but one episode. Carter was in all of them. But I will mention a third actor here, Beatrice Colon, who plays Etta Candy. And she's just a basset hound of a lady. She works in Steve Trevor's office, and she's supposed to be like the sad sack character who's, you know, always trying to find a man. And I think they put her in the new movies. So she's an important character overall, but only in like 13 episodes because obviously they didn't throw her 30 years into the future as well. She seems to be a character who, (laughs) if all the other characters have something real to do, she answers the phone. Correct. I really wish they'd use the same exact thing for Steve and they just had everyone be like, they all had kids that were (laughs) just now born when Wonder Woman went to her little vacation planet and they're all here and they look just like they did. Just dead ringers for their parents. (laughs) Like, look at little Etta Jr. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, she was also in Baywatch, by the way. Okay. She had an appearance on one episode of Baywatch. A lot of tie-ins. I like it. All right, well, let's get into this episode here. This is season one, episode seven, Wonder Woman versus Gargantua. You've hinted at Gargantua. I love Gargantua. Also, this title is misleading. Wonder Woman versus Gargantua? Maybe. I think you could say yes. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see. I understand where your qualms come from, right. but I, I think well, it 
See, I thought you were going to go with, I think Gargantua deserves the leading credit. I thought you were going to be like, it's Gargantua well, versus Spencer, Wonder you Woman. you bring up another very valid point. I also noticed the title of the show was Wonder Woman. And not Gargantua. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Gargantua! <laughs> <laughs> with your satin tights. <laughs> All right, well, our episode begins with a comic book-inspired intro where we see an animated Wonder Woman do things like jump off a building, stop a car. I almost said that like Wingshauser. Jump off a building, <laughs> stop a car. It's funny how you're influenced, and that's all of us. Mm -hmm. Anyone in this world, it's funny how you can be influenced by Wingshauser without knowing it. <laughs> the animated Wonder Woman also flies around in her invisible jet, and she just does comic book stuff. That's basically what happens here. And eventually, the animated character wanders forward and then turns into the live-action counterpart, Linda Carter. That wasn't Wonder that Woman. badly done either for that time neat. period, I I thought. like the intro. I like the blending of the comic book style with real life. But my favorite part, and it makes no sense, is all of the actors appearing and their names appearing by their face in a speech bubble. As if. <laughs> yes, because it is. A, it's not like a thought. It's, it's strictly a speech bubble. Right. Linda Carter appears and says, Linda Carter. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's like uh, on Forged in Fire when you had to yell the name of your sword when you swung it. It's the same thing. You have to yell your own name if you're a superhero. In a way, you like a are Pokemon. the sword you're using to act. You're an actor. There are a bunch of cool 70 stars flying around while a couple of hippies sit around and yell things about Wonder Woman in the theme song. It is what it is. It's pretty fun. I was surprisingly okay with it. You know, I hate intros. That's mm -hmm. been my thing this whole show. But I thought this was so 70s and so campy and so stupid that you have to love it. You have to just be like, okay, go go ahead. Do another three or four minutes of this if that's what you want. <laughs> I give myself <laughs> to you 1970s intro. You said the word campy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. wonder if that might come up. Well, anyway, after the intro, we see a map of Africa, and boy, do I bless the rains down in Africa, my friends. There's a comic book-inspired narrative panel there, and that's how they use uh, exposition bubbles or whatever. It'll, they'll have it look like a comic book thing, and I like that. I like I that, too. the aesthetic of it. It also reminded me of how they used to do with silent films. Between scenes, like, there'd be no other way to tell you what happened, so they would do a little synopsis or explanation, and that's kind of a almost a throwback to that. All while a jaunty piano tune played. I can hear it right now. It also avoids, by having a comic book, you know, subject matter, you can use comic book techniques, like having the little, you know, text bubble appear. It works so much better than in modern movies that try to have like a tech type scroll where telling you, hear you where it you're type at. across or right. whatever. And it, it will look dated within 18 months, <laughs> every time. This narrative panel tells us that we are heading to a Nazi-held section of Africa May of 1942, and by 1942 in the real world, World War II had been going on for three years. At that point, the Axis powers had largely been, quote, in the lead. Germany and Hitler were doing some crazy, horrible shit, but the tide is beginning to turn, and it's still anyone's game. So this is a very pivotal time in the war. Hitler and the Italians are seen as being in control, and we're about to find out what kind of devious plots the Fuhrer has. Right. This is kind of a bit of a snapshot glimpse into some of the Smaller projects, perhaps, that the Nazis were working on in the 40s mm -hmm. that were lesser known and not nearly as heinous. <laughs> when you're making That's what a... I was going to say. As far as Nazis go, these ones are pretty nice. Yeah. Like, they're, really they're not that bad. And I mean, look, if you're making a pot of stew, sometimes you got to put a bunch of spoons in the stew. What's the, the idiom about logs on a fire? Spoons in a stew. I got irons in the poker. What are we going for meaning, here? What? <laughs> the one I'm looking for is 
meaning that you've got a lot of things going on. And yeah, you, irons in the fire. That's it. That's what. Let's go with that I like instead spoons of in the spoons stew. in the stew. I like it. And I think we I'm eating make it a, a lot with at <laughs> once. Just several spoons going in my mouth out of the same bucket of stew. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, the Nazis aren't that bad in this. Yeah, yeah. Which you could argue is not a great decision. To just yeah. have Nazis as fun villains. But here's the thing. I think at this time in history, they were considered pure, vile, evil, and nobody questioned it. In the 2020s, there were people like, no, the Nazis yeah, are right. Okay. So I think yeah. then it was like, we can make fun of them. Everybody knows they're awful. That's fair. It was more just assumed like they are a great evil, much like in the Indiana Jones series, actually. <laughs> sure. Which was just a few years after this. Well, the good news for us is when we find ourselves in that Nazi stronghold in Africa, we see Wonder Woman. She's walking through the forest looking for something. She pauses, furrows her brow, searches through the trees and the vines, and she continues on. But suddenly behind her, we found out she's not looking for something. Something is looking for her. It's a giant ape. <laughs> the black furry face pushes aside some brush and peers around looking for its prey. Wonder Woman wanders over to a jeep with a swastika on it, and the gorilla follows slowly behind her. Suddenly... The ape saunters over to Wonder Woman with her back turned, and rather than use its immense power and speed to take her out, slowly lifts its ape hands up over its head and casually, like, swats downward at her. But she dodges the swipe. The ape's mighty hands kind of bonk into the jeep, and Wonder Woman quickly gives him a little hug from behind. She lets go. The ape turns to face her, ultimately lifting her over his head, preparing to just rip her in half. But before he does... Wonder Woman toots on a little dog whistle. Just the ape stops, puts her down. Seems suspicious. Well, she reaches up to her face and begins to peel off her skin. She rips it off. It's a mask. This isn't Wonder Woman. This is Mission Impossible. (laughs) I thought the same thing. (laughs) Turns out this is Nazi scientist Erica Belgard. She's wearing a Wonder Woman mask and outfit. And we see that several Nazi men are standing off to the side by a cage and watching this whole ape versus fake Wonder Woman fight. And everyone's wearing safari clothes. You're in Africa, you right. have to. Part of the thing. That was part of the issue where it's like, I can't take these Nazis seriously. They're wearing safari outfits. It's just, it was so hard not to think they were kind of cute. Were you disappointed when we find John Hillerman, who is a Nazi scientist <laughs> who played Higgins on Magnum P.I., were you disappointed that he didn't have a safari outfit? Because I was. That would have been good bit. now that you mention it. Because Higgins would have loved uh, to wear one. <laughs> mm-hmm. One of the men here is the main Nazi guy, Hans Eichler. Well, not the main Nazi guy. We know who that is. This is the main Nazi guy for here. He tells Erica that the ape display was, it was pretty interesting. Interesting. But if he wanted to see a trained animal, you know where he could do? He could go to the zoo. Which is a pretty good burn, but he's wrong. <laughs> <laughs> Can't find an animal like Gargantua at a zoo. Can we back up and talk about what Gargantua looks like? Be my guest. Well, I don't think it's actually an ape. I'm just going to say that. It's definitely all, you what? know, this is a man in a costume. But more than that, the ape has been given something of a set face, which mm. is kind of expressive. It is. <laughs> you could say that. I think they did a good job with the eyes in the sense that when the guy's <laughs> eyes move, it looks closer than most man in ape costume eyes would look. The rest isn't great. It gives Gargantua a bit of a surprised look <laughs> often or mutated. Well, did you know gorillas don't have white of their eyes? Well, they have it, but we don't see it. And there was one male gorilla in some Japanese zoo that did have white in his eyes that was visible. And women apparently fell in love with him and there were like fan clubs or whatever. So scientists kind of looked into this and apparently that's uh, a human evolved trait to appeal prettier to the opposite sex or whatever is the white of the eyes. It's not as intimidating. 
I knew I did that for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> Who do you think wins since we're talking about costumes and mm -hmm. how they look as Gargantua or the Gremlin from the Twilight Zone episode? I love them both. I, yeah. The thing about Gargantua that I find really charming is how he sways his arms around when he runs the guy yeah. in there. It's so funny. He's always got like an arched back. It yeah. just looks painful to do. And no less than probably three or four times in the episode, a character will refer to Gargantua as enormous, maybe seven <laughs> feet tall. He's 5'10", I think. And the width of a man. Gar Gar yeah, he's Gorillas a normal guy. Wide. Yeah, this <laughs> is just... so much. And he, he kind of is a little clumsy. He's unsure of himself when he moves. Well, that's kind of the thing is the gremlin is pretty agile. He's ripping that plane apart like it's nothing. So I think the gremlin might be able to beat Gargantua. I think the gremlin True. doesn't have the conscience that we see in Gargantua. I think There'd be no setting the gremlin free. The gremlin's heart is pure chaos. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Okay, one of the things I need to settle. I've got a few others for you guys over the course of this episode. Good, good. Erica tells Hans that this ape is named Gargantua. We've hinted at that. Full name. Here's the thing, though. Gargantua is not just a trained animal. No, no, no. He's been programmed to obey their every command. Erica asks Hans if he thinks Hitler and Goebbels would be interested in the attack ape. And uh, he says, well, I don't know. Let's radio high command. We'll see what the big guy thinks. I just picture somebody being like, Mein Fuhrer, I have an ape for you. She does say something. She's like, I I have something useful to the war effort. <laughs> I, no one's ever thought that about an ape. Why couldn't that have been an assassination attempt? Like you train you train the ape to kill Hitler, but you say, hey, mm. this thing is going to work for you, Hitler. And it gets in there and it rips That's his really head off. That's really good. I wish this episode had ended with Gargantua <laughs> killing Hitler. Just pulling his head right off. Here's the problem. If Steigler had invented Gargantua, maybe he would have done that. But Erica, she's no, She wants she's to suck board. up to Hitler. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Erica sucks. She's mean, too. Well, the scene fades out, and we get another comic book box, which tells us that it's now five months later, September 1942. We find ourselves in the Turner Circus outside of Washington, D.C. We see a whole bunch of, like, sheiks, like guys dressed up as sheiks yeah. wandering in the circus. Was that a thing? I don't know if we were supposed to think they were people that traveled from out of the country to see Gargantua. It would well, be a worldwide be attraction, for sure. There's also a bunch of elephants. They're covered in velvet. Weird circus stuff. We, we do shift to a big sign that says, Gargantua the Great, the most amazing ape ever viewed in captivity. Which, yeah. I, I think I'd buy that. Probably. Sure. I've never seen an ape that looks like this. Well, we pan back to see Gargantua's face as he growls and licks <laughs> his ape lips. And he looks kind of sad. Well, he's in a cage. He'd be sad. I think this is our first time we hear Gargantua noise, too, which mm -hmm. those vary from different kinds of growls and roars that have never come out of the mouth of a primate. They do also chimpanzee noises later, which are not at all gorilla noises, but you're right. Most of them are just like <laughs> just stupid <laughs> sounds. Gargantua suddenly leaps forward, grabs the bar of the, of the cage and snarls a whole bunch as several onlookers in suits and 1940s hats leap back in fear. A security guard then tells everyone to stand back. Not only is Gargantua the most ferocious <laughs> ape ever held in captivity, he's also the most intelligent. Is that a security guard or like a guide, like a, a tour guide for everyone? Because I think I've he never, just did both jobs. I've, I was going to say, it was a little bit, he's stepping outside of his normal duties. Yeah, he's a real Gargantua hype man on the side. <laughs> and I, a security guard. He, he delivers the line, which, spoiler alert or something, I've been saying this all night before we recorded too. The security guard says he's the closest thing to man you'll ever see. Well, there's men everywhere in here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they say he's the missing link. So he's the one that we know Australopithecus or whatever. Gargantua is the one in the middle. 
And because it is a man in a costume, it does have that feeling. <laughs> <laughs> this whole time this guard is saying this, Gargantua is jumping and just shaking the bars and growling, and they keep zooming in on his goofball face just constantly. The people begin to move on from the area, and as they do, camera pans over to a woman in one of those old-timey circus showgirl outfits. It's Erica, the Nazi woman from before. I didn't know she worked at the circus, too. <laughs> well, you know, she's got a lot of spoons in her soup. She does a lot of stuff. <laughs> she has successfully gone undercover at this circus to advance her nefarious plot, and it turns out she's just out here in public talking on a payphone to Hans and loudly saying this. <laughs> I've told you, I've taken the Pavlovian conditioning response theory and perfected it to a degree no one ever thought possible. I have complete control over him. Okay. Uh, uh, I guess, look, it's rooted in reality. The Pavlovian, the dog salivating when you ring the bell. I get it. So I think this show is better than at least like Bones at its sure. jargon. Yeah. But it's not great. No, I, well, Wonder Woman, I think, figured we need to have a couple of real things in here because we are willing to do anything. <laughs> and the other thing, too, is seeing this pretty little blonde lady dressed up in a circus outfit with the most fake German accent you've ever heard is delightful. She does it the whole show. I wish she'd ham that German accent up all the way. I'm not off. kidding. Mine is better. Oh, yeah. The, she doesn't even try. And when she does, it is bad. I don't know why they didn't get someone who like had a passable one or one at all. Well, keep in mind, it's the 70s. This is when they would do, you know, you're brown, so you can be any brown person. You could be a Native American. You can be Peruvian. Whatever. So I think they're just like, eh, white you know person, what? they're German. That's true. This is the least of our concerns. <laughs> Another big face security guard comes over <laughs> and he spells that first guard who was explaining Gargantua, tells him, I'll take over for the rest of the shift. You got lucky. The new security guy is approached by Erica and referred to as Carl. Now, as it turns out, Carl is also a German spy. There's a bunch of fucking Carls in this show. She tells Carl the high command has issued them an order to free a captured German scientist named Conrad Steigler. Of course, if Wonder Woman gets involved, they also have an order to dispose of her. Well, that is to say Gargantua will dispose of her. Tonight, they're going to rendezvous with Hans Eichler to put their plans in motion. And after explaining this, Erica turns to Gargantua and pokes him in the face while he holds her <laughs> hand. Next, we're at Washington Interrogation Headquarters where Steigler, who's of course played by Higgy Baby himself, John Hillerman, who was Higgins in Magnum P.I., he's here giving up German secrets to Major Steve Trevor while Diana Prince and General Phil Blakenship sit outside of the room watching via a one-way mirror and listening via speaker. Now, Diana Prince is Wonder Woman's, uh, not secret identity, but her, her civilian personality. Really? Yeah. In case you guys weren't aware, if you thought they were different characters, I'm sorry I spoiled it Okay, well, actually, I didn't know at first. Oh, really? I did not have any idea. I was like, when does Wonder Woman come in this? And that was her the <laughs> whole time. You know what? I will I buy it, and here's why. When she wears the Wonder Woman costume, which we're going to get into a bit here, it does not look good. It's bad. <laughs> she's supposed to be this hideous, glasses-wearing goblin when she's in Diana Prince mode. She's fucking gorgeous. Yeah, that's like kind of the problem is you described this earlier, but she was a model. You're yeah. not going to be able to pull off. Not even if you put glasses on her? No, somehow that doesn't <laughs> do it, even though apparently for years we did think that as a society. Diana and General Blankenship sit outside of this room and talk about how amazing Steigler is and how good his information has been. And the general mentions if he really has defected, you could better believe that the Nazis will try hard to silence him, either via death, breaking him out, ape attack, something like that. <laughs> 
Diana says, well, the Nazis are obviously very good, upstanding people. There's no way they would kill him. And if they did, it wouldn't have anything to do with an ape. Basically, we know that Steigler is likely to be a target for the Nazis here. They want to pull him out so that way they can interrogate him, find out what information he gave up, then kill him or whatever. But they need to take some precautions to keep him safe here. Yet another comic book title card shows up. This time it says it's later that night at a deserted oil refinery. That, this is my favorite of the title cards from this episode because <laughs> it, when you just see that out of context, what? How also, many are those? I feel yeah. like they kind of proves right there. They weren't really taking the text that seriously. Yeah. They just kind of having some fun with it. And sure. we see that increasingly and especially next episode. And I like that. Like the show's nuts and it doesn't care. It mm. likes it rolls around at it. It's great. We're at that deserted oil refinery where Erica and Gargantua are waiting when Hans Eichler arrives and tells him he's delighted to see all of them again. Arl then comes up and reveals he has located where Stiegler's being kept. Turns out it's in an apartment building on the third floor, which they initially assumed would be a big problem. You would think, man, it's going to be hard to get past all these guards. We can't just go through the front door. And it's the 70s or the 40s. There are fewer ways to get a pie. <laughs> okay. There just are. There are fewer ways to do anything. You know what? That's a very accurate take. Yeah. I agree with that. Have this. you even seen the 40s grappling hooks? <laughs> I thought you were just going to say, have you ever seen the 40s? <laughs> no. <laughs> Most people haven't. Especially now. <laughs> Carl advocates for just killing Steigler, but Hans says exactly what Diana said earlier about needing to find out what information Carl's given up before they take care of him. Before they can mention how to figure out to get Steigler out of the fourth floor apartment, Erica says, look, guys, guys, we have Gargantua. Best part about this is the camera pans to Gargantua and he looks skeptical. <laughs> he doesn't buy into the plan no. yet. That's because he's a guy. He's, uh, <laughs> he's like, I, I don't have a better chance of this than you guys do. Erica said, there's nothing to worry about here. And there's this big, ominous musical hook. Camera focuses right in on Gargantua who sits there and just shifty eyed looks back and forth. <laughs> Doesn't know what to make of any of this. At the apartment building where they're holding Steigler, which the comic card title here says is actually a top security hotel. For what yeah, that's worth. right, by the way. <laughs> we see a bunch of security guards wandering around. They have big white helmets and armbands that say MP. I've the never whole, known what that meant. Me either. Military police Must is, be. or personnel, something or personnel, like that. But my favorite part is they all look like little fucking aliens with toad heads because mm -hmm. that with the big white helmets. They're huge, too. Yeah, they look like dorks. And that's coming from Brian Vaughn. I knew, that's what I'm saying. Steve Rogers is here, and he tells Stiegler, look, there's nothing to worry about. The place is well guarded here at the abandoned hotel. After all, not like an ape's going to climb through the window <laughs> or something. If for some reason it does, we'll be able to dispatch it. It's a normal strength ape, probably. This whole premise where they're wanting Gargantua to climb up into the hotel and get the guy. You guys remember the Edgar Allan Poe short story, The, the Murders in Room Org? Mm, I don't think so. I yeah. think we had to read it in like eighth grade or something or one of the Edgar Allan Poe stuff. And I, I came across that one maybe instead. But that's his detective that C. Auguste Dupin or whatever he oh, wrote. Yeah. Oh, yeah. The, that's considered like the original detective story. So he the murders in room org is a murderous ape. It's an really? ape that he's a he's a pet orangutan and he watches his barber owner like shave people. So he gets confused and tries to use a razor to shave like he tries to go up to a person does that and he chops their fucking head Turns off into a regular demon barber of fleet street yeah he just cuts he cuts a woman's head like almost all the way off and then he realizes he's in trouble so he kills the other one strangles her and stuffs her in a chimney 
And then, yeah, that that's what this whole thing reminded me of. It's like um, Gargantua is just like this murderous ape. From, that Edgar Allan Poe crafted. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, devious. It, yes. It just reminded me a lot of that because no one saw anyone go in that room and they were like, how did anyone get in there? It's because it was oh, a Oh, that is a lot like this. Yeah. Yeah, because you, your, your go-to is never... Ape. Ape climbed the fire escape. <laughs> well, the the detective Dupin, he sees some fur on the ground. That's how he solves the case. He Was sees... there any crude oil in that fur? <laughs> I don't think so. And this one, he just sees uh, he sees some fur on the floor. He's like, that is beast fur. <laughs> so he figures it out. Yeah, right so away. So in, in this case, he wasn't Ben Dupin. Oh, shit. Yeah, <laughs> that's pretty good. Out. Yeah, he wasn't Dupin. Okay. Anyway, you guys should read that. It's a pretty interesting No, it story. actually sounds cool. Here's the thing about Edgar Allan Poe. I remember, of course, in school having to read The Raven and all that, and The Raven's boring to it me. Is. I, I, it's very important. I get it. I get it. But I always think of that, so I'm like, hey, he's probably dull or boring. But then you read some of the other stories, and it's like, this guy's dark. Oh, it was dark These as shit. These are good shows. Super good fucked stories. up. I visited his gravesite in Baltimore. You spit on it? <laughs> no, I... Uh, like, fuck I, you, buddy. I sacrificed a person on it. Oh, good. Seemed like what he would have wanted. It was a fun event. Right. Anyway, so Gargantua, murderous ape. Stiegler in here with uh, Steve says he knows the Germans, of course, and knows they will stop at nothing to get him. Steve says if anything happens... You can come over here and look. There's this one red button we had installed by the door. You push it, the guard, it'll sound an alarm, the guards will be here. So that's all you have to do. And again, You're I, safe. I wouldn't imagine there's anything the guards couldn't handle. Rogers leaves, and so Stiegler locks the door behind him before he busts out a cigarette case and lights one up, sits down, and starts reading Life magazine. Like a good German He's scientist. having a nice evening. That does sound nice. He figures, hey, I can't control this anyway. If they get me, they get me. I'm just going to enjoy my night. Do you think reading a magazine, like with a cigarette in that time period, is is like the modern day browsing the internet, like getting on yes, your it, phone? Like Netflixing or something? Yeah. And you know how I know that? That is how my own father spent a lot of his morning. Really? Yeah. Shirtless. That yeah. is amazing. In the garage behind a tarp that was cordoned <laughs> off, reading the newspaper or a book and chain smoking. Well, just then a truck comes around the corner and violently launches itself over a curb. And in the back of it, we see Gargantua in his cage. Carl and Hans get out, and they kind of sneak, and I do that air quotes up, on some guards. Because basically, Hans walks straight up to this guard guy and pretends he's lost. Carl, walking next to Hans, scampers behind the same guard and then puts a gun in his back. And the guard just ignores Carl the whole time. The little title card said, Top Security. I'm beginning to doubt that. (laughs) Meanwhile, Erica, she's wearing her best trench coat and Tom Bombadil hat. She sees that the guard is taken care of, so she toots her little whistle. This causes Gargantua to come out of his cage. She shows Gargantua just the worst picture of Steigler that has ever been taken. It's so horrible. He doesn't need much to go on that Gargantua. He's the most intelligent ape that's ever existed. Almost human. And he can also be told whether to bring the person back safely or to murder them. She also points up to the fourth floor, so now Gargantua knows that's where Steigler And he Steigler sees is. the light on, too. Like motel set. Well, wipe the light on. <laughs> we'll for leave ya. the gargantua in there for you. <laughs> what if you got a hotel room and there's an ape in there? Well, I would ask for a different room. Well, yeah, it'd be like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> this I, one's taken. Yeah. My oh, fault. shit. I didn't realize this was, we got double booked. <laughs> what if there's two beds and the ape's like, points? <laughs> well, then you got to do it. <laughs> or what if there's only one bed and the ape points? I'd still do it. And then you have him order room service. You just get a fucking shitload of bananas. <laughs> I mean, and that's fine, but you were looking for something more substantial. Wonder 
With another toot on Erica's horn, Gargantua kind of half crawl, half walks his way towards the building. Like it's, Brian mentioned, he's always so hunched funny. over, dangling the arms, quote, like a gorilla, but it's very goofy. There's a zombie quality mm -hmm. to it. Another guard rushes at Gargantua, who simply flings him like a hundred <laughs> feet away. I do love that the guard straight lines at him. He's like, that, that'll yes. fix yeah. this. I'm going to run directly at the gorilla. I'm going to charge an ape. And in real life, if you see this, uh-uh. <laughs> no. No scenario any man's charging a gorilla. That reminds me, though. The choreography. Yeah, I said that. The choreography here. <laughs> is a lot like a Steven Seagal fight scene yes. where, yeah. where they have him just go right at the the big gorilla that's Steven Seagal. Go right which, at his hands. Which now, question, <laughs> Gargantua versus Seagal. How does that oh. go? Now, I think Gargantua takes it. Sure. In well, yeah, we primes, can go prime. We can go prime In Seagal. their prime, Seagal's bigger. <laughs> yeah, he so, sure is. If, back in his standing up days, I think Seagal could take it. And Gargantua was more of a lover than a fighter yeah. for the most part. So he would have tried to talk to Seagal at some point by making grunt noises. I think that's true. Which is also what Seagal does. Now, that said, if Gargantua knew he was in trouble, he could scale a wall. I don't think at <laughs> any point Seagal could do that. Yet another guard rushes the ape. But again, same thing happens. So with all these guards taken care of, Gargantua promptly begins to climb the building, get to Stiegler's room. And you know, guys, I think it's really important for most shows to try and connect with their audience in some way. Sometimes that's having like a strong emotional scene people can relate to. Like this one. Sometimes it's a cunning payoff. You know, you watch a movie for two hours and it builds and builds and builds and mm, that payoff feels so good. Other times, simple relatability. That's all you need. I think Wonder Woman actually tries that last one. And I also think it succeeds because Carl says something right here that any of us could have said in this moment. I'd hate to have that ape after me. Yeah, I mean, who would want that? And who could that possibly happen to? Well, in Wonder <laughs> Woman, a lot of people. That could have been one of those just constantly used lines in Hollywood media things. Like, kind of like, we're, we're going to need to get a bigger boat. Or, yeah, it's or too the, quiet or something. Or, oh, I got to get me one of those. Something like that. It's like, I wouldn't want that ape after me. <laughs> Frankly, my dear, I wouldn't want that <laughs> ape after me. <laughs> Get off my, I wouldn't want that ape after me. <laughs> you talking to, I wouldn't want that ape after me? Carl does continue after saying that about the ape. He says, I can't wait to have that. I, I'd hate to have that. I can't wait, I can't to, have wait to have that ape after me. <laughs> I love that ape. I'd hate to have that ape after me. He just can't wait to tear somebody apart. And after he says this, Gargantua growls at the camera. <laughs> but this whole idea of like, holy shit, this ape is terrifying. But then showing a man in a gorilla suit scampering about and desperately trying to climb a building in a gorilla suit is utterly hilarious. <laughs> that does it sound is, really hard now that you describe it. It's so funny. Oh, it's just delightfully cheesy. Delightfully campy, as you said earlier, Van. That's a word that describes this to a T. What I wish they would have just gone ahead and did. I, I think it was not a thing at this time. Why didn't they just do Gargantua Vision? Let's see it from his mm, point of view. But it's Predator Vision. So yeah. It's like how a Predator sees, but it's Gargantua. <laughs> I want a whole spinoff show, Gargantua. At least a, like a season or something. Yeah, he gets an apartment in the city. He didn't even use his shoulder rockets. <laughs> Predator. That you just brought up another thing. Gargantua versus Predator versus <laughs> Alien. Holy shit. Who wins? I don't know. The we audience. Do. <laughs> Hans gets a little concerned here. He's afraid Gargantua might kill Stiegler and that <laughs> this is all a bad deal. We need him back alive. That ape can't do that. But Erica continues to vouch for Gargantua. She says it's all going to be fine. Wait till you see this. He's only been programmed to bring the defector back alive, not be killed. 
It's mostly just a bunch of scenes of Gargantua awkwardly climbing the building now. It goes on for a bit. <laughs> Too long. Yeah. Both up and down, and that adds to how funny it is. And then Stiegler's reading the newspaper, so he's not really doing anything. Now, eventually, he gets up, decides he wants to take a casual peek out the window. You know, it's a nice night. Let's look at the view. Whips open that curtain. <laughs> what is he met with? The growling face <laughs> of Gargantua, an ape right there. Good thing that window's there, though. <laughs> well, the two lock eyes. And Stiegler backs away a little bit, and he goes, no, no, <laughs> no, and it is glorious how he does this. Gargantua bursts through the window. <laughs> he slowly kind of snarls and meanders towards Stiegler <laughs> when the very diminutive man, and again, this is Higgins from Magnum P.I. He's not a big man. He's a little plump, round man. He picks up the coffee table that's there in the room quite easily, I might add, and flings it at Gargantua, who just bats it off. Yeah, what's he Like care? a fly. It doesn't even impact him. Stiegler continues to back away from Gargantua, and upon backing into a lamp, he then picks it up and throws it at Gargantua, only for it to be batted away. Then it kind of bounces and hits Gargantua again on the back, and he paws at it. It's real weird. <laughs> Guy in a costume. He's a man in a costume. Doesn't know what's happening. Can't really see anything. Can't breathe. Probably thinks there may be... Maybe he hit a gaffer behind him or something. <laughs> he's trying to make sure he's clear. He's just thinking about how it's way too hot. <laughs> the panic in his eyes, you see it's real. <laughs> <laughs> he's about to suffocate. Stiegler launches towards the door, the exit that he can get to, and he fiddles with the knob, only for the deadly gorilla to grab him from behind. He remembers the red panic button, finally. He reaches out to press it, but Gargantua grabs him by the arm and just launches him clear across the room into the hotel desk, which crumples. And... I guess there's a lot going on here. Let's put it that way. Gargantua is running amok. Is the because <laughs> people start piling up in here too, and that doesn't go well. And this throwing <laughs> of John Hillerman. It starts out John Hillerman is Stiegler there, and he kind of uh, rushes off screen. This is not a physical actor. So then a stunt double is Stiegler, very painfully, obviously launches into this <laughs> desk, which crumples and falls to the floor, all while. Stiegler, John Hillerman, lets out this noise. It is a fascinating sight. And while sight. all this is going on, there's still a man in an ape costume. <laughs> <laughs> a guard finally hears this ruckus, and so he enters the room only to, only to be met with the visage of a giant ape beating the shit out of Hignum, what, Higgins from Whatever he thought was behind that door, that was not it. <laughs> no. So the guard quickly presses the red button, but then he's launched across the room by Gargantua, <laughs> Yet another guard comes in who's, again, shocked by the image in front of him. So he rushes Gargantua. They just keep running right at him. At first, I was kind of annoyed because I thought, why are all the guards staying in the corner after they get thrown there? And then I remembered, what else would you do? <laughs> this guard, this last one, is then backhanded so hard by Gargantua that he flies about 10 feet. He's knocked clean through the door of the hotel. Just blows right through it like a Kool-Aid man. Obviously, that is one of the highlights visually of the episode. With the guards incapacitated, Gargantua grabs an unconscious Stiegler under his arm and climbs out the window, much to the delight of the Nazis below. And to me, because this was really funny, too. <laughs> when he gets funnier, too. What is Stiegler here? Uh, like a dummy. Stiegler. Yeah, it looks like a sack of flour with, like, really, the legs don't have joints. <laughs> no, and I don't think there's any substance in it, because he couldn't be too heavy. This is a man in a gorilla suit yeah. climbing down from the third floor of a building. The last five minutes looks really dumb. And you kind of mentioned this. Stiegler, Steigler, I don't know. I know I've interchanged them. I've said Steigler. This. We've said Steigler more. Let's try Steigler. Let's try to Steig. Let's do it. But if you're out there listening and you're like, mm. in the third time he said Steigler, he said Steigler. Mm, error. 
Don't do that. They don't know anything about Gargantua. <laughs> As Gargantuan climbs down with the dummy Steigler, we occasionally pan over to Erica and Hans, and they are so joyfully delighted that this plan is coming to fruition. They're team one. It just brought a tickle to my heart. Uh, that's part of why I couldn't help but be like, okay, the Nazis are kind of cute. Sure. Because yeah, she's all giggly and cheering like, I did it. I trained a murderous ape. <laughs> <laughs> and he dragged a man down a building. <laughs> or what sort of a man. <laughs> Whatever he brought in from An in there. An approximation of a man. <laughs> Once Gargantua gets back to the Nazis, which does take a good long while since it's, as we've said, a dude in a heavy costume climbing down various pipes while dragging a dummy, Erica applauds the ape's effort and tells him, congratulations. <laughs> the gorilla puts Steigler in the back of the truck and the Nazis all head out to the U-boat to return to Germany. They try to say U-boat a lot, I noticed, in this episode to really drive home the fact that they're Nazis. Yeah, the realism's got to be there. Uh, they probably were like, like I mean, I, I know a lot of Nazis and they always talk about U-boats. Every Nazi has a U-boat. You're issued one by the evil Nazi regime. Ford Taurus of Nazi Germany. <laughs> At the hotel room after this fracas. Fracas? Sure. sure. Is that real? It is. Fracas. This feels more like a demolition derby, but that's sure. real. That is right. Well, Steve and Diana are there, and they've arrived to see what has happened. Quickly notice the guard who was flung to the wall by Gargantua, so they ask him what happened. He reveals the horrible truth. The sergeant. Maybe he can tell us what's happened. Sergeant, where's Steigler? The alarm sounded. I... I came up, a, a gorilla, a, a gorilla attacked me. A gorilla? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know why, but Steve just doesn't believe this. He's this, like, that's not possible. Uh, the whole point, the rest of it is them kind of being like, okay, what is this, a King Kong movie? <laughs> Except for Diana. Diana's like, yeah, it, it was. Oh, yeah. you, he's right. <laughs> she believes him right away. And the scene ends with Steve thoughtfully thinking about this for a moment and then once again saying, gorilla? <laughs> I think the guard did pretty good. How how would you guys describe it if you were the guard and someone was like, what happened to you just now? What would I you say? I would be afraid to say that a gorilla came and attacked me because I'd be like, that can't be. That's not a, no. So I don't know. I think difficult. He, I think he did a nice job. I think I would have added a few more details. I would have said it was gargantua. Yeah. Because you would have known. Right. Course. I think if you leave that out, they just think it's some run-of-the-mill gorilla. Not the most intelligent gorilla yeah, that's and ever that, existed. You want to save face. If a, if a random gorilla comes up and beats ass on your watch, <laughs> sorry, buddy, you're out of a job. But if Gargantua does it. Promotion. People understand. <laughs> They're like, I'm sorry you suffered. Here's a better paying position. Yes. That's actually how you ascend to CEO. Gargantua. You have to have Once yeah. you get attacked by Gargantua, you get promoted. Correct. That's what they call it, the big G in the corporate world. Like. You get your big G yet? That's when you're attacked. Well, that would explain why they are all running at him because it's like I want my promotion. <laughs> yeah, okay. They know they're going to get their ass kicked, but they're I got to do the badge this. of honor. You know the true secret to pleasuring a woman is finding the gargantuous spot. <laughs> Later at the abandoned oil refinery, Hans tells Steigler that they are taking him to Berlin so the higher ups can interrogate him for what he's revealed to the Americans. And Steigler gets all shifty eyed and says he told the Yanks nothing. I'm ready to get back to work. So he goes along with it. He did want to defect. We know that based on how he acted earlier. But now he's like, no, I want to go back to Hitler. Yeah, we get the sense by, and I think John Hillerman does a nice job of, of yeah. letting us know he does not want to go back to Germany and he was willing to defect to America. We're supposed to have a little bit of doubt, but ultimately, no, he's a good guy, I think. And he's a cute little fella. Like yeah. You see him and you're like, that's a good guy. And we know he's a good butler. Carl's on the phone talking to Hitler, so Erica reveals that they've completed their mission to get Steigler, but she wants to stick around a bit and try to capture Wonder Woman. 
She says Steigler is so important, in fact, to the U.S. government here that Wonder Woman is sure to try and come rescue him. Therefore, we should use this opportunity to send their, our militarized ape after Wonder Woman. Hans really isn't so sure this is a good idea. So to prove it's the best idea, Erica toots her horn and Gargantua gets really pissed off <laughs> and then reaches for a very conveniently placed cardboard cutout of Wonder Woman that's at this abandoned oil refinery. I think she just carries one with her everywhere she goes. She's a big fan. Maybe that's it. Gargantua snarls and roars and just royally fucks up this cardboard cutout. Oh, he cutout. rips it up, man. He can really tear up paper. <laughs> and then Hans and Carl are watching this, and they're astonished. Erica, though, smiles a wry smile because she knows she sold her plan. It is the most I-told-you-so look, and nothing has happened. This sets off, though, a, a what it will now be a plot point for the villains, which is everyone but Erica is like, we already got what we came here to get. Let's go home. Erica says, I need to do this Gargantua thing. And then repeat ad nauseum. Yeah, that just keeps happening. Like, no, Gargantua. <laughs> I mean, do you blame her? No. Exactly. <laughs> We're next at the War Department in Washington, D.C. the following day, where Diana is busy reading the paper, which is just full of stories talking about Gargantua as paper should be. The headline actually reads, Gargantua on the loose. Famed ape escapes from circus. Search parties scouring the city. There is also another story on the front page that reads, Germany threatens England. This is 1942. We know, we know that. We've less important that. than the first thing you said. Well, that's why it's not the main story. Right. Diana's not alone here, though. She's with sad sack Etta Candy, who says she went on a date with a man recently who resembles Gargantua. Oh, ugly Which is good for Etta, pulling a Gargantua. <laughs> she wishes she was pulling a Gargantua. She then says the big ape is frightening to look at, and Diana reveals her animal lover's side as she says, he's just a wild animal. He was tortured, trained. It's not his fault he's capable of stealing small German men from fourth floor hotel rooms. The built-in character trait of Wonder Woman slash Diana that she's super into animals and the harmony of all species, I like that. It came on real strong in this episode. Oh, I, don't, I don't know if it's a theme in the show and maybe she just continues to espouse this, but... And this show, you might as well have given her like a little it's ridiculous. a little musical score yeah. while she's talking over it. I, I like it in theory, and I bet yeah. you it's better executed in the comics and things like that, because the creator you mentioned, Van, was super progressive about mm -hmm. things. Also was very into BDSM, apparently. Yeah, definitely. Uh, he, you know, would have had these views about animals and nature, and it's cool to see those in a, in a comic and even in a show like this, but they are ham-fisted in. Yeah, and I think this episode is likely worse simply because we have the ape. Yeah. So maybe they have, you know, you see a dog and they make an offhand comment and that's the extent of it. But the character of Wonder Woman is from some special island Paradise or Paradise Island. Where basically they live in harmony with all animals. It's kind of uh, Black Panther-y with Wakanda yeah. where they're, they're more sticking with ancient tradition and stuff like that. Wonder Woman even talks about this, as you said, Van, in the episode. Diana can never say that, though, obviously. She can't be like, I'm from Paradise <laughs> Island. So she just kind of has to out loud voice what I would think would be very progressive views for the time. Steve arrives and overhears that Gargantua has escaped. Apparently he knew who Gargantua was too, which great, he should. They go Maybe out and he, get a drink every now and then. He's been to the circus. Oh, that's true, He's yeah. heard the spiel from the guard slash read the guide. paper. Gargantua's a star. Steve and Diana kind of hint that this could be the ape that took Steigler, so Steve devises a plan and asks Diana to find out who the most highly respected animal behavioral scientist is in the area and she says sure let me just open my phone book to the <laughs> most respected animal behavioral scientist section 
like no time at all. This was really funny. I mean, it works because the next scene is with the most highly respected animal behavioral scientist. In I the think area. it would be difficult to find a good one of those now. Like just at the ready. I'm thinking maybe you go to a zoo. Is that the best that way be. to do that? But yeah, no. Well, we find out later on there's only three of them in the world. <laughs> and so. they all know each other. We're now at the hotel room where Stigler was abducted. Diana and Steve are then joined by a Dr. Osmond, who is, of course, the most highly respected animal behavioral scientist in the area. Steve has briefed Dr. Osmond on the gorilla situation, and the good doctor is here to determine whether or not it's plausible that an actual gorilla abducted the turncoat. Dr. Osmond finds a big wad of gorilla hair and confirms their suspicions immediately, and the two heroes prod the doctor with questions about apes. And what's he say to all of them? Basically the same thing. He's like, yeah, that could, that could be. <laughs> he suggests that if a gorilla were properly trained, they could do all this. Could. So it's like, I don't know, maybe, sure. Yeah. But one of my favorite parts of this episode throughout is Steve having heavy skepticism about this being a gorilla until it's proved right in front of his face because he's constantly doing that. A gorilla? Really? I mean, that sounds stupid. <laughs> <laughs> there is a part in the first scene where they where he first starts being like, I don't fucking think so. <laughs> where it's it's not him. It, it, is it Diana who says, well, could a gorilla break through solid oak? <laughs> the <laughs> yes. way she says it is so incredulous. Like, but I mean, sure, other kinds of wood, but oak? <laughs> I don't think so. I've gorilla tested cedar, <laughs> pine, but never oak. With all of this information confirmed, Steve decides it's time to tell General Blankenship about the situation. The general believes this story about as much as Steve does and tells him, look, I'd be laughed at in school by the other generals if I told them a gorilla stole our Nazi scientist. I mean, Douglas MacArthur alone would throw a cordcob pipe at me. <laughs> Patton never once had any sort of gorilla problems. <laughs> well, they respected him, the gorillas. Right. <laughs> they fell in line. Steve tells the general they have to consider this possibility. And the general has just a hilarious anecdote. Spencer, you mentioned it earlier. He says, it's like something out of a King Kong movie. And Diana and Steve fucking laugh their asses off at the most painfully obvious joke you can I make. I thought, okay, clearly Diana was just humoring him. Okay. Steve probably did think, like, oh, it's pretty funny because it isn't a gorilla at all. But <laughs> Diana was kind of like, ha, ha, stupid. Pavlovian responses were mentioned earlier by Erica mm -hmm. in, in this Wonder Woman episode. Well, uh, television has a lot of, it still does, but had a lot of that in the 70s, 80s, 90s. We've seen a lot of it where a joke is just saying something the audience recognizes and the audience points at it and laughs. And this is kind of one of those. I yeah. know what King Kong is and it I've, is a gorilla. I've heard of that. It's my that, my uh, synapses are firing. It's that Leonardo DiCaprio image, reaction image. Pointing from, at the TV. Yeah, it's that. That's what yeah. they do. I do that reference. Me connect. That's Gargantua's first words. <laughs> and it was two Wonder Woman. And then after that, he said four because he was playing connect four. No. <laughs> and then he said Gargantua win. <laughs> and, then and then he broke the table. <laughs> <laughs> they are all then interrupted by a phone call from Dr. Osmond, who tells Steve that he has something important to show him. And hey, I can't tell you over the phone. You got to come here. Okay. This is another one of <laughs> it's my been favorite. going on forever. One of my favorite TV tropes. It's just always existed of the, there's something I could definitely tell you over the phone, but I'd like to inconvenience you. Because <laughs> would you, if you were in the situation of Steve, <laughs> would you be like, okay? Or would you say, no, what is it? I'd say, what is it? What could it possibly be? Nothing short of a death, right, that you need to leave for? <laughs> well, the general here excuses Diana and Steve, who then head to the doctor's lab. And that's where we see Dr. Osmond playing with the knobs on his microscope. <laughs> Steve and Diana arrive. 
The big thing he dragged them out here to show them turns out to be that gorilla hair that we had earlier. Guess what? It's gorilla hair. <laughs> we kind of knew that already, right? Okay, seems like we could have done this over the phone. <laughs> but I really do like that the scene begins with him tinkering with his microscope, just like, what are scientists doing at all times when people <laughs> walk in a room? Yeah, fiddling <laughs> with a microscope. It's not just the gorilla hair, to Dr. Osmond's credit. He has also made a Bigfoot-style casting of Gargantua's footprint, which I guess is a cool souvenir. What else can you infer from this or take from this? I think he must have just wanted to do that. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a hobby of his yeah. casting things. He probably does taxidermy, too. Dr. Osmond does say, but based on this footprint, that ape, over seven foot tall. <laughs> the good doctor tells him it's absolutely possible someone could train a gorilla to do all the things Gargantua did if trained properly. And to prove this point, he leads Diana and Steve over to a cage where he has a monkey, not an ape, I might point out, and he claps and wiggles his big old face at the monkey, showing that monkey can walk away for a second and then walk back a little bit later. All this seems very unrelated to the Gargantua thing and more just stuff that Dr. Osmond wanted to do. Checkmate. <laughs> and by the way, this is a stump-tailed macaque, this monkey we're seeing here. He's There's, cute. Sometimes they're called the ugly monkeys because they got like pockmarked faces and stuff. They're spiteful little shits, but they are cute. Yeah. But they're native to Southeast Asia, so we're not going to see one out in the street. No, not in Missouri. Unless we get lucky. <laughs> you know, there are no monkeys in North America. I, I don't see any. Oh, wow. I guess not. They're South America. You have the, the New World monkeys with the, makes sense. the tails, the prehensile tails. We've, but, been, yeah. we've been here for 40 years, and I mean, I, we one of us would have seen a monkey by now if you there think. was a monkey. Yeah, this also explains why I never once got an American monkey zoo books. Only the Old World monkeys, New World monkeys. Hmm. Good point. We've solved it, guys. Not postmodern monkeys, <laughs> which is, I guess, what a, a North American monkey would be. Abstractionist monkeys. Industrial age monkeys. <laughs> They're like cyberpunk. <laughs> that's Cyberpunk awesome monkey. this is a yeah they've idea. got they've got one arm that's like made of framed metal why is this so cool <laughs> <laughs> diana gets an opportunity here to do her animal welfare bit again about how animals should be left alone and not fucked with by humans dr osmond says well we highly respected behavioral scientists in the area study and test on animals just to help humans and they're both right in a couple of ways obviously we need to leave animals alone but if you need to further advance certain scientific studies, animal testing, I don't like. But in some cases, it's useful. But not most of them. Actually, it's usually horrible conditions, and I'll rail on it. So we could do it right, but we don't in this world. It's like everything. Like a lot of things, mm -hmm. yeah. Diana tells Steve if they find Gargantua, they'll probably find Stiegler. But Steve says, I don't really have much to go on here. Where would we start looking for the ape? So Dr. Osmond says to him, wait a second. I'm the most highly respected animal behavioral scientist in this area, and I've got more clues for you. He shows Diana and Steve some more gorilla hair, so really the same clue, but a little <laughs> different. He says this one has, is covered in crude oil. That is unrefined oil. And I, I could have mentioned that earlier, didn't. <laughs> you want to see my pet monkey do another trick? <laughs> I've worked really hard on this guy, so you just at least let, let me do a couple more tricks. All the characters argue as to where the oil could have been picked up by the ape. And Steve keeps just suggesting all sorts of places that don't have anything to do with crude oil. He's like, the gas station? McDonald's? No, it's crude. They say the word refined a lot, and this causes a bulb to go off over Steve's dumb head. He says, of course, there's the abandoned oil refinery plant. Every town has one. Steve excitedly scampers off to the refinery and tells Diana to call his army shift lead to tell him where he'll be. <laughs> So she sits down at the phone here in Dr. Osmond's office and phones Etta 
who says the following line, Oh, hi, Diana. Where are you? Why would you ask that? That's not relevant to anything. <laughs> no, although Ed is super weird. <laughs> He's very bizarre. She looks a little like Kristen Shaw. Yeah. Because she has the bubbly face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love Kristen Shaw. She's hilarious. Kristen Shaw, to my knowledge, has never gone on a date with Gargantua. To your knowledge. To my knowledge. And this whole phone conversation just exists so that we understand what's that going to the refinery is dangerous, whether or not Gargantua is there. That means Wonder Woman now has a reason to go. Diana finishes the call and wanders over to the center of the room, and after a quick check to make sure no one is looking, begins to just spin and spin in the middle of the room with her arms outstretched. This spin, combined with the power of some 70s sex music, causes a big explosion to happen right in her middle, and she magically turns into Wonder Woman. <laughs> did you guys know that was her method? Yeah, of, of, she came of up transforming? with it. I did not know. It's, it, it's so funny to look at. Also, this is the first time we technically see Wonder Woman. Correct, because we saw her 26 minutes into this earlier. episode. Yeah. And for me, again, I did not know. <laughs> Until she started, I, at first I was like, what is, what's Diana, a scientist, not Wonder Woman doing spinning in this room? Yeah. And then it became clear. And it's then, like, <laughs> she, oh, she's Wonder Woman. Did you Wonder at first Woman. think she wasn't okay? <laughs> <laughs> I was, and then I immediately wondered, okay, so that is, that's her method of becoming Wonder Woman. What if it doesn't work? What if one day she can't get it to work and she just has to keep spinning? She wouldn't hear the music. She would know it wasn't working. Mm, she'd get real nauseous after a while. <laughs> yeah, she just can't go anymore because she's too sick from the spinning. And since, like you pointed out, Brian, this is the first time we're actually seeing the real Wonder Woman, let's talk about her outfit. Everyone knows what this looks like. It's been in pop culture forever, but we'll explain it. She has what's essentially a one-piece swimsuit. That's the shape of it all. She has cone boobs that are red and gold. And then for the bottom half... She's just wearing a big diaper. <laughs> it's been painted w- blue with white stars, but it is straight up a diaper. It's an it American is hideous. Diaper. And again, I mentioned this earlier, beautiful woman, Linda Carter, very good looking woman. But when she's Wonder Woman, because this costume is so awful, it like, takes her down a peg, well, which is bizarre. She looks like she's trick-or-treating. <laughs> well, okay, so a couple thoughts on that. I don't understand how a person can wear that and be okay. Yeah, like she's, no. She's getting filmed by all these cameras and she's in front of a bunch of people. That is a horrible thought. Yeah, but we're not fucking smoke show models. I know. I just can't imagine. Speak for yourselves. I can't place my brain, my consciousness inside Mm -hmm. Linda Carter in the 70s and be like, you know, how does she do that? But but she does also get a tiara thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's pretty cool. That's true. Well, so another thing I thought. And the lasso of truth. I can't help but because it is so ugly and because it is such, I guess it's not a 70s creation, right? It already looked like that. Yeah. Mostly, so, yeah. But it, it fits in the 70s perfectly, honestly. But it's so outlandishly hideous that I almost thought it was cool. I Agreed. almost think the okay. outfit is kind of cool. The show feels so mismatched all the time. Like, the 70s did. But everything looks like it doesn't belong and, like, people are just shoving things together. And this costume, it does do a lot of things at once that don't make any sense. Like, you wouldn't be able to fight crime well on this. You have, uh, obviously, a beautiful woman who you're actively trying to make look like she shit her pants. <laughs> I, it's a weird choice all around. Like, you can't say they're trying to... I think they were trying to make it look attractive. Yeah, but, I do. Yeah, I think. Well, but and it, the style at the time, of course, is high-waisted, so it goes really high, yeah. which never looked good. But Well, it's kind of around now. Yeah, and I don't like then. it. I don't like it one bit. And everyone cares what I think about it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, that's why, yeah, ever since you've been writing... I was going to name a fashion thing. Couldn't get there. Couldn't get there. That's what I was going to say. And then I realized, I thought that might make me sound like an old man. And Mm. then I didn't come up with anything. Vanity Fair. That's mine. That's my suggestion. Mm -hmm. L. 
Monkey. Uh, you made that up. Well, I got another one. Two books. Oh, nailed it. But no American Monkeys. Highlights for kids. <laughs> anyway, I loved it. She has big high heels, too, which are not good for fighting crime in, but she has them or whatever. But the tiara you mentioned is actually like a tangible object she uses. She'll throw it at people, and we see it in the next episode. So it's it's well, her weapon. So I was confused by that. I thought in the next episode, before she uses it, they ask her, like, does that ever come off? And she's like, no. And I thought maybe she has to wear the tiara for power, and then later she does. She just takes it off and beats someone with it or something. You're close, though. Her belt. She has to wear that that for her powers. So she ever doesn't have her belt, no powers. So she's just a regular woman at that point. Not a wonder one. <laughs> More of a blunder woman. And then she also has, of course, the wristbands, which are bulletproof. Did that's, you, that's a big deal. Did that you comes happen, into play in this episode. Did you happen to, like, in her IMDb or something, did you see how tall she is? She looks very tall, especially in the heels. Yeah, she's not as tall as you think. I think it was like 5'10 huh? or 5'9. Okay. So, so she's a tall woman. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> Yes. Gargantua is a little taller than Wonder Woman. So Gargantua is probably a good solid six foot when he wakes up in the morning. <laughs> or but when he lays down because you're taller. Yeah, you yeah. Down. Before his spine starts And before he gets older, yeah. yeah. <laughs> if he were in space, he'd be a couple inches bigger because there's less gravity. <laughs> yeah, he could be a good in. six, one and a half in Don't space. Don't you tempt me with Gargantua in space. <laughs> <laughs> well, anyway, after she stops spinning, Wonder Woman runs off screen, presumably to vomit. And we find ourselves now at the abandoned oil refinery where the establishing shot spends about 45 seconds just showing old buildings. I liked this. There is nothing more 75 to 85 than showing tan, ugly, <laughs> abandoned buildings for like too long of your runtime. But a rock and soundtrack really kicks in, and we see Wonder Woman flailing her way up to the gates. She just runs like a doofus. Yeah. For whatever reason. I, I would imagine goofy. it has something to do with what she's wearing. I, can't it help. has to. It's kind of charming also because it's like, again, you have this beautiful superhero who looks so awkward at <laughs> every turn. Again, when she's Diana Prince, she's like a smoke show who's very good at doing everything. And then she turns Maybe into Maybe not Wonder acting, Woman. but that's well, fine. And by the way, there is- No a, one is. This show is yeah. ridiculous. There's a big improvement, I think, between this episode and the next one with Linda Carter. Yeah. She's never a phenomenal actress, but this one's bad. And you can tell it's one of her first roles, really her main first role. That was the thing I didn't get to mention up top is obviously she's very attractive. She doesn't look the part of like a crime fighter. She looks right. too wholesome. Her face is so sweet and innocent that she looks like she belongs in a beauty pageant. I will draw a comparison to Rex Smith doing the street hawk role mm, yeah. in that he, he came across as a little too friendly, honestly, <laughs> to be like an intimidating superhero. And I think... We get that with Linda Carter to a degree, too. She's almost too nice. I will say, I think that fits the role a little bit because yeah, you know, when she's they a created lover. it, it's supposed to be fighting with yeah, love. Yeah, and she's and all from that. Perfect World or whatever. Well, that makes sense. <laughs> cool World? She's not from there. That would make her part animated, I think. Yeah, it doesn't. So she, she is in the intro. Oh, wow. Sorry. It all, it, oh, no, this all works. I understand. The 1993 hit Cool World is the reference. I don't think it is. <laughs> Oh, man. The smash hit masterpiece, Cool World. Yeah, Brad Pitt's calling card. <laughs> yeah, I completely lost it. It's gone. Go ahead. Are, did you like <laughs> no, that's okay. It wasn't anything important. Wonder Woman, of course, doesn't have a key to get into the refinery thing, but this is Wonder oh, Woman. Why not? She's a superhero. I guess they never gave her one. I honestly kind of hoped for the Mission Impossible thing where she pulls something out of her hair and you think she's going to pick the lock and then it turns out it's just the key. That's what the fuck grandma from Rawhide would have done. <laughs> I will say this might be because she's she doesn't like to use her brute strength because she's so nice. This is a situation where she can use her brute strength. She doesn't have a key. Bust that door down. I bet she feels bad for the people who own well, the property. Well, that's true. There's property damage then. Yeah. Or She'll, it's abandoned. Nobody owns it. 
I bet you she'd send an anonymous envelope with a check to whoever leases the building. Okay. She grabs the chain and padlock, keeping her from opening the gate, and basically just squeezes it real good. And this just completely shatters the lock. Need one of those weapons, the gun, <laughs> gun materializer things the Pied Piper has <laughs> would come in handy. And we do know that this is actually a superpower. She's just not like a kind of a strong woman. This is a superpower strong strength thing because there's like a boop, 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 noise while she's ripping up the key. It's a lot the like the spinning. You have to have the music to know. Otherwise, you just see a person doing a dumb thing. As Wonder Woman continues, we see Hans has established some sort of alarm system. It's now going off, so he's alerted to our hero's presence. Hans displays shock that Wonder Woman is here, but Erica says, no, no, this is my plan all along. You see, I planted the gorilla hair covered in crude oil. It was all me. But wait a sec. This just hit me. She wasn't up in the hotel when Gargantua got Steigler. So how could she have planted crude oil ape hair? Does it mean she covered Gargantua in crude oil and then sent him up there? Or maybe she planted it at the lab of the most highly respected animal behavioral scientist in the area? This is a very tangled web. We may never have an answer. We may never know. It's possible the show overlooked a few details in its uh, plot. Well, anyway, all of this causes Carl to arm his rifle, but Erica tells him that's going to be useless against Wonder Woman. Remember, she has those bulletproof bracelets. Carl says, yeah, I'll believe that when I see it. But anyway, none of this matters. You know why? Because Gargantua is going to take care of Wonder Woman. The villains demand Steigler call Wonder Woman, say, hey, help me, help me. He doesn't want to do it, but they threaten him, so he does the call. So hearing this call, Wonder Woman Kool-Aid mans her way into Steigler's room where she locks eyes with Gargantua for the first time, who is angrily snarling and pawing through the bars of his cage to try and do what he did to that cardboard cutout. He's Must so fuck her mad. Up. And he probably can't even tell from there she has a whole third dimension that that cutout really didn't. The villains all come in and Erica gives her big evil scientist speech, saying Gargantua is proof man can bring ape under complete control. They all then demand Wonder Woman go into a room or else they'll kill Steigler. She's like, okay. Easily foiled at this point. Erica then unlocks Gargantua's cage and toots her Gargantua whistle, which causes the ape to kind of, I've got a poop waddle <laughs> his way into that room. Wonder Woman and the gorilla do face each other here. They're in their own distinct battle stances. Like Wonder Woman's got her arms out ready to fight. Gargantua's aping, whatever it is apes do. But she doesn't want to fight. She says, hey, I'm your friend, Gargantua. I love you. Those Nazis, they're evil. They're your enemies. I love you. Gargantua, you and I have a future together. Paradise Island. <laughs> but unfortunately for her, Gargantua is either a very mean ape or just an ape who can't understand English. He's just trained so well by the Nazis. He's just Hard to get through that programming. He pounces and pounces, but quite slowly at her, never quite getting a grip kind on of her. swiping, again, super slowly. It's one of the worst fight scenes I've ever seen. It's really bad. You think he was still tired from having to carry Steigler down the pipe and go up and get him and Gotta be throw sore. all those guards around and all that stuff? Yeah, he's just worn out. It's like the day after a long tournament or something. Your body's just sore. You need time to recuperate. Long ape tournament. Yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. Wonder Woman doesn't fight him, though. She keeps refusing. She keeps pleading with the mad gorilla. I'm your friend. Don't do this. There's a lot of lines during this scene that would probably be funny, isolated too, where Wonder Woman's like, Gargantua, <laughs> come on, we're really friends. Fortunately for Wonder Woman, we see Steve and a couple of Jeeps full of men. They've arrived at the refinery, so helps here. Backing Wonder Woman into a corner, Gargantua finally gets the upper hand, manages to snatch her from behind, picks her up and just kind of wiggles around for a bit. But she does manage to grab the ape's hands and she uses her Amazonian strength 
To pull herself free from his powerful ape grip, Gargantua is genuinely dumbfounded at this. There's a scene where he sits there and looks at his hands for like 10 seconds. How could this be? Speaking to my point about this fight scene sucking, like the, the anti-climax of giant ape hugs Wonder Woman, <laughs> Wonder Woman pulls his hands apart. That's how this ends. By now, Steve and his men have infiltrated the refinery, and Hans realizes we're in a bad spot. This is not good. We got to get out of here. There are a ton of them, because there are. Those MP guys are everywhere. And they're easy to spot because of their big white helmets. You know what they look like? In the Seinfeld episode where Jerry is thinking of the chess game between his brain and his dick, they look like his dick. Yeah, they sure do. Wow. Good call. Hans snatches up Steigler and tells the other Nazis, we gotta go. Erica protests, says, I, I can't leave Gargantua behind. But Carl grabs her by the arm and they all flee out the back door, leaving Gargantua alone, still battling Wonder Woman. The two warriors continue to grapple when Steve and a man rush into the room and draw their guns. And despite Wonder Woman saying, don't shoot, the man immediately starts firing away at Gargantua and Wonder Woman in the same spot. Fortunately, she's able to deflect one of the bullets with her wristbands, and this frightens Gargantua, so he kind of rushes off to the side, but the man fires another shot, hitting Gargantua in the left arm. He shoots him. The Wonder Woman rushes over to him and yells at the man, turning to Gargantua, locking eyes with him, and apologizing profusely while calling the ape, my friend. Steve rushes over to check on Wonder Woman and Gargantua, and a group of several of those men run in and say, hey, they all got away. Did you want us to not have that happen? <laughs> I don't really know what we're doing here. Steve asks, how? In a really annoyed tone, and the main guy hears as well, I guess they had a car in the back. It was a sedan. <laughs> You're not going to believe this, boss. They planned to leave. <laughs> well, I also think it was, it was the EX editions who had the luxury package with the nicer wheels and you know the extended warranty. It was pretty cool. I know it might not seem like I'm super attentive about the details of my job, but I'm kind of a car guy, so I did <laughs> notice all of those details. Steve gives the men an assignment to try and track down the Nazis, and Wonder Woman tells him that Gargantua needs medical help. <laughs> He's been shot. If only they knew a highly respected animal behavioral scientist who was in the area. Wasn't there a guy from earlier? Well, they're in a different area now, so they, they need that area specialist, don't they? Well, of course, that's exactly where they tape Gargantua to Dr. Osmond who then tells Wonder Woman that Gargantua is likely trained using some more bullshit science jargon that's still better than anything in Bones. And Steve asks the doctor, hey, what are you going to do now? The doctor says, I'm going to try and reprogram the deadly ape. Don't worry about it, though. My reprogramming methods are harmless. And also, I understand that these Nazis have spent this ape's whole life programming him and training him, but I'm going to only need about 45, 50 <laughs> minutes. I'll have the whole job done. We get another little comic book title card here that tells us we're at a waterfront warehouse. I liked that too. Super vague and mm -hmm. super villainy. A waterfront warehouse. Nothing good happens there. It could be the same one where Joe and Lily were sent off into the sea by Street Hawk. Another Street know. Hawk parallel. Hans and Erica are here holding Steigler and they argue about needing to get away from a waterfront warehouse lest they are caught. And Carl shows up to inform them that Wonder Woman still alive. Erica asks about Gargantua, and Carl says, I don't know, or care. This just sets Erica off. She screams about the success of her ape training program, and mm. we've got to keep working on it. She says, I've figured all this out in my head, though. Aside from my dad and Professor Nasaki of Japan, who just gets fucking name-dropped right here in this show, there's one other person who could conceivably be called the most highly respected animal behavioral scientist of the area, that's Dr. Osmond. 
says she's going to leave now and return that night with Gargantua. But Hans tells her the U-boat's going to leave in four hours. If you're not back by then, we're leaving without you. This is one of the scenes where Erica gets a little bit more German accent in there. And I mm -hmm. wonder if just hearing U-boat made her remember, <laughs> oh, yeah, my character's German. At Dr. Osmond's lab, we find Gargantua has an 8x11 picture of Wonder Woman he's holding. And he's just staring at it longingly. But joining Steven, the good doctor, is Diana, who approaches Gargantua's cage without fear. She walks right up to it. Steve tries to stop her, but she rushes up to the ape, pulls down her glasses, gives a little bit of a wink and a smile to the gorilla, and we get like a wind chime noise, which tells us that Gargantua's figured it out. He knows this is Wonder Woman. Probably my favorite little hidden gem is the fact that the only person who's figured out Diana's true identity is Gargantua. He's the closest thing to human. Apparently he's is. superior. <laughs> Diana places her hand on the cage and Gargantua softly reaches out to put his hairy paw atop it. Woman and ape then lock eyes, peering longingly into one another's soul as harp music plays in the background. And then Diana puts her other hand on top of Gargantua's hand. Never worried that he might rip that hand off. Diana and Steve leave the lab and we see Hans and Erica standing right on the other side of the windows, which I assume you could look at easily and see that there were two people out there, but no one does. No. With Diana and Steve gone, Erica knocks on the lab door and introduces herself as Otto Belgard's daughter. And seeing as how Otto Belgard is also a highly respected animal behavioral scientist in his area, Germany, Osmond lets the two Nazis in. Osmond should know better. He's been talking to Diana and Trevor Steve, and they've told him, like, there, there are Germans who've trained this ape. <laughs> this is 1942. If you know someone who's German, you're probably a little wary. A little bit, right? Osmond lets the two Nazis in and somehow correctly guesses Erica was with the circus. I don't know why that connected, but it sure did. Erica immediately rushes over to Gargantua, who begins growling and banging on his cage. Han tapes up Dr. Osmond because, guys, Nazis aren't all bad. They don't just kill anybody. Plus, they might need him for Gargantua stuff. Because that does seem to be one of the big Nazi agendas we were not aware of. <laughs> I love his realization, too, when he, when he sees it's Nazis he's letting. He's like, you're the one who's trained him. <laughs> <laughs> Among other untold atrocities. <laughs> Erica toots and toots on her little whistle, but Gargantua doesn't stop raging. She explains to Hans that they must have reprogrammed him in the last 20 minutes. <laughs> and she says, picture, demanding a photo from Hans, who just immediately reaches into his sport coat and pulls out a big 8x10 picture of Wonder Woman. He's got a whole those. bunch of them. He just has them around. Are they autographed? They're of everybody, too, in case, you know, Gargantua might need to go after Nixon. Oh, okay. Erica does seem to, for <laughs> some reason, have a fixation on Wonder Woman, though. I, I wonder... If this whole thing was like, I'm going to find an ape and train him specifically to, to get at Wonder Woman. Erica really must wish she had been Wonder Woman that could instead be it. of the foremost ape reprogrammer. That explains mm. why she was dressed as Wonder Woman in the first scene. She was playing out her lifelong fantasy. To the point where she had a photorealistic mask made. <laughs> well, the Nazis are capable of a lot of things, Brian. Yeah. Okay, I figured it out. This is all, it's not creepy at all that she was wearing that mask and they took all those pictures of her when she was wearing the mask oh. and they gave that to Gargantua. Okay. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It makes perfect sense. Can't believe we didn't think of that before. <laughs> Erica hands the photo of Wonder Woman to Gargantua who immediately squats down and stares longingly into it. And Erica produces a syringe of mystery liquid, which she's going to poke into the ape. A scene of a submarine beeping occurs, and we find ourselves back at a waterfront warehouse where Carl has used his little Morse code machine to learn that the German U-boat that is supposed to pick them up has been delayed. Boat police, aka the Coast Guard, have found them. So Erica's delighted by this. 
She knows she has more time to worry about Gargantua and get Wonder Woman. Carl and Hans aren't having any of that shit, though. Yeah, they're actually worried because they're thinking, if this is delayed, we're going to get caught. Erica does not care. It's, it's not all like about... this has worked yet. No, it's all about Gargantua, which I get. In fact, I think Hans says, uh, you know, you and the gorilla had your chance. Now, the only thing that matters is Steigler. That's it. Nothing else. Erica then threatens to tell on Hans and Carl to Hitler, and the two immediately relent. They don't want to get in trouble with the big guy, so Erica rushes off to work on the ape. Speaking of which, we find Gargantua chained up to a chair with some electrical wires latched onto his nipples, and Erica is basically using shock therapy here to reprogram Gargantua. Carl holds up the picture of Wonder Woman in the ape's face, Erica cranks up the voltage on the machine, and the sine waves just continue getting shorter and shorter, showing that they're just electrocuting the fuck out of Gargantua. Finally, the ape has enough, rips off his chains, attacks the device in a rage before rushing off into the vast warehouse. Technology of this is really funny and doesn't really make a lot of sense. It's like Tommy Wiseau thought of it. Like, we'll just kind of hook some electrodes to some knobs. <laughs> and have I, a box. It did work to make me like Gargantua even more, though. I felt so sympathetic toward him all chained up like that, getting electrocuted. He's definitely a victim here. And he's also been reprogrammed two times now in like the space yeah. of one day. <laughs> like, no, you love this person. You hate this person. You love this. He doesn't know what to think. Gargantua needs a vacation. He needs to go to Paradise Island. Meanwhile, Steve has been radioed the location of the Nazis, so he gathers a group and heads out to a waterfront warehouse. Diana tries to go with him, but he tells her no. He doesn't know she's Wonder Woman, so he, she's just a simple woman who works in my office. You wouldn't be able to save all of us. She takes this opportunity to take off her glasses, undo her hair, spin in a circle in her office until she explodes and turns into Wonder Woman. <laughs> she rushes off to find the Nazis, and once there, she uses her golden lasso of truth to climb up a building, noticing the Nazis below through a roof window. I guess they're roof windows. The lasso can also just be a lasso. It should be noted. It doesn't. No truth is extracted from that wall from or the pipe, yeah. but she is able to repel. Seems like a good one. Yeah, strong lasso. The Wonder Woman song just shows right the fuck up here, and she dives through the window to the room down below where she grabs Carl, who's just kind of standing there, and then launches him into the other side of the room. Hans tries to pull out a gun, so Wonder Woman grabs him, and again just launches him violently off into Carl. As Carl and Hans regain their footing and rush off, Wonder Woman lassos Erica and has a big box thrown at her by Hans before Gargantua makes an appearance, growling at the red, white, and blue hero. Wonder Woman has learned her fighting moves from Gargantua, which is throw all the guys in a pile in the corner. But unfortunately for Wonder Woman, Gargantua has been reprogrammed. He snatches her up in a big bear hug and tries to crush her to death. A pug. <laughs> she then gives Gargantua a snapmare, and that takes him out. Wonder Woman apologizes and gives a long speech about how Gargantua is just an innocent widow baby and he should be free in the jungle. The MP men show back up and grab Erica. Wonder Woman gets up, but Gargantua reaches out and softly grabs her arm, begging for her to stay. She sits back down in the two embrace before she helps the beast to his feet. But Gargantua sees Erica and begins to rush at her. <laughs> Wonder Woman stops him. She says, no, you mustn't hurt anyone. Not even her. Not even her. Erica's a bitch. Nazi. I like Erica. <laughs> Steve shows up and reveals he and his MP men stopped Carl and Hans outside of the warehouse, so I guess they didn't have a car this time. That's all done. Yeah, they should have thought of that, I guess. Steve asks Wonder Woman about Gargantua, and we kind of hear her fumble away through this, so let's take a listen. What happened to Gargantua? Well, Erica obviously tried to reprogram him, and he went berserk. But I think he's all right now. He must have sensed you wouldn't have hurt him. 
It's just a little kindness and tenderness and love that transcends those barriers with animals. And with people. <laughs> she did get the swelling soundtrack in that little yeah. speech about animals being good. Yeah, man, we mentioned earlier, she's just not great in this episode as far as an actress goes. It just wasn't good, but it's And fun. I don't know how good you could be at this. After all of that, Steve gets a big old grin on his face and he says, Wonder Woman, you're amazing. Which almost seems like Van is joking, that the scene would just cap off saying, Hero, you're the best, but it does. That's what it does. Several nights later at the circus, Wonder Woman has snuck into the room where they're holding Gargantua in a cage, and he lets out a little ape moan of delight when he sees her. He tells him, I hate seeing you in this cage. You should be free. So she fucking strong arms the padlock off the cage, grabs him by the hand, and helps him sneak out of the circus, something we'd all love to do. Another map of Africa pops up with a title card that says, The following day in Africa. This is not how I thought the episode would end, I have to say. What did you think was going to happen? Didn't think there would be an ape being set free in Africa. I thought she was taking it back to Paradise Island, (laughs) where he belongs. There's some more animal stock footage here. when We find out exactly how she's made it to Africa so quickly. The answer to that is her invisible airplane, which evidently is a toy in the air, looks real bad, and is to the point where I was genuinely surprised at seeing it. It startled me. This looks like a robot chicken sketch or something. It really does. It's like a, a toy plane with a doll on the wing. Unmoving doll. And someone's blowing a hairdryer to simulate the sound of a plane. Do you think it was the same doll that they used for Stiegler to be carried down? I hope so. But no, they just they put made, a wig on it. They made one for everything they had to do that with, I'm sure. So they had a Gargantua doll. a whole doll. bunch of dolls. I, w- doll. I would love to have a Gargantua doll. An Edda doll. Now seems like as good a time as any. If you'd like to leave a five-star review for Boob Two Boys... <laughs> On any podcast platform, we'll probably get tattoos of Gargantua. Sure. I want a life-size Gargantua, a six-foot-one Gargantua in my room. Seven-foot. Six-one. <laughs> on a good day in space. Actually, in Africa, Wonder Woman pops around a tree leading Gargantua by the hand. She tells her beloved ape that he's truly free now. He can roam the jungles as he pleases. Never has to worry about those damn Nazis again. She explains, though, it's time to say goodbye. Releases his hand, slowly backing away, and waves before she departs. There's some more animal stock footage, and then we see her in her airplane flying off, real bizarre. And that's it. Wonder Woman leaves Africa. Back at Steve's military office, he's pacing back and forth, apparently quite mad that Diana took a vacation day. Ed is there trying to calm him down, and Diana arrives just then and apologizes for being late, saying, I just had to drop off a friend. She said it in a way that begs the question like you you want someone to ask you who is your friend is it is it gargantua <laughs> but steve doesn't ask anything did you take him to africa diana are you wonder woman <laughs> in fact the camera zooms in on her face as she grins and gives a little wink ending on a freeze frame of her smiling most episodes of wonder woman do end on freeze frames which i like it's the 70s man people were freezing and framing left and right well, that's it gargantua has made an appearance and we've finally pushed our way through this episode We'll talk, of course, overall thoughts on Wonder Woman next week. But what did you think of this episode? Did you enjoy it, Spencer? Yeah, I did. I actually liked, I was disappointed when we went to modern day 70s, although that ended modern up working day. out just fine. <laughs> <laughs> I also enjoyed it. I think it was a lot weirder than I thought it would be and just seemed like it was pulling from all over the place. There's an ape. There are Nazis. I, uh, I guess I'm used to modern superhero fare, which... Feels very paint by numbers. This wasn't like, I mean, the show isn't good, but it is not boring. (laughs) No, it's a lot of fun. 
And I would definitely have watched this if I were alive in the 60s and wanted to watch TV. It's just enjoyable. It's positive. So I like this episode in particular with the ape, how goofy it was and how serious everyone took it. So definitely enjoyed this. I didn't know what to think going into our next episode. And in some ways, it surpasses the first we'll episode. We'll have to see if the next one's, you know, if this next episode's your bag, man. I've got one more Gargantua fight to propose for you guys. Oh, okay, sure. We have to do this one more time. Gargantua versus Kathy from Father Knows Best. Kathy. She could Didn't blow a hole hesitate. right through Gargantua. What are the rules? Uh, you know, just go at it. Anything goes? Mano y mano. Kathy headbutt. Okay, you know the Juggernaut from X-Men? I don't know if you guys actually know that character. He's not even a mutant. He has the K-Darren crystal or something stupid. But anyway, once he gets started, you can't stop him. Nothing in the world can stop the Juggernaut. So that's, that's Kathy. Kathy. Once she gets going, if she gets into a good little toddler sprint or whatever... You could just blow a hole right through. Jim Gargantua. just has to whisper in Kathy's ear, pretend he's the ice cream machine. Yeah, she's built up the muscles from cranking the ice cream machine. Turn too. his head right off. Yeah. So that's that means you feel like if Kathy were the one that were in the room, she could have easily thrown those guards around and broken solid oak. Yeah, no you problem. Change this thing to Wonder Woman versus Kathy from Father Knows Best. Same result. You don't have to change anything. Just swap the two characters. I can picture them holding hands between the bars of a cage. And longingly looking at each other. And some of Kathy's hair having crude oil in it and being (laughs) found at a crime scene. Coincidentally, I can also see Gargantua getting super psyched that Harper Eames is going to (laughs) invite him to the banquet. Gargantua's never been to a banquet. (laughs) He'd love to now. You know the whole thing about a bowl in a china shop? Grill in a banquet? Yeah, really really fits the same mold. (laughs) Well, that's going to do it for today's episode. Of course, go check us out online. We have bootwink.com. There are street hawk gifts up there as of now. Probably some uh, rawhide gifts by the time this episode comes out. Lots of fun stuff on there. Check out the bonus show available on patreon.com slash bootwink. It's free for everyone. And you can subscribe or maybe leave a little money. That's fine. But you don't have to. It's there. And then, of course, we have the YouTube channel, which is going strong. I'm putting up all the previous episodes and slowly working our way through the li- library. We also have skits and bonus stuff on there. Go check it out, Inc. on YouTube.com. Anything else before we get out of here, guys? I miss Gargantua already. Do you miss Gargantua? I, I, okay, let me just be honest here. Uh, your waffling is, is scary. No, no, me. no. No, it's like, I. it's hard for me not to leave this right now and go to him. That's how much I miss him. Okay, you redeemed yourself. When I get down, though, when I start to miss Gargantua and my heart starts to burn, what I remember is that love conquers all. Wonder Woman!